Sup, nerds? This is In My Expert Opinion, a podcast about the nonfiction side of speculative fiction. Your hosts are Dr. Marcus Cole. I get paid to do science. Sarah Ward. I'm a scientist in progress. And me, Abby Cole. I'm not a scientist at all. Join us as we geek out about the made-up stuff we love and the real stuff that shaped it. Today we're going to talk about a popular analogy between X-Men and the real world and some black history in relation to comic books. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Dope stuff. (laughs) Yeah. So we're going to be kind of continuing our series of like expert opinion. Uh Expert. Yeah. We're going to be talking about X-Men again and talking about an analogy that has been popularized for years that I think most, well, what I was able to find doing research, most people on the internet uh, disagree or do not subscribe to like this analogy um, anymore, which is nice. Um, And it's the idea that Dr. X or Charles Xavier is analogous to Martin Luther King Jr. or Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in the X-Men comic books and Magneto Mm -hmm. being analogous to uh, Malcolm X. It's actually funny that you say that because I would say that I've actually met a lot of people who still think that uh, even pretty recently. I was going to ask you if you were going to tell us up front whether or not you ascribe to it, uh, subscribe to it, but it sounds like no. I uh, I absolutely do not subscribe to it, but I'm I'm not going to try to throw any shade at people that do just want to kind of provide a counter argument and uh okay i will throw shade (laughs) (laughs) the shade brigade that's me i've just come up with this and i thought it was good to do this because i feel like in our uh very like woke environment right now i think this is like it's gonna start coming up again and i think people are gonna try to just project this these two very important figures from like the civil rights movement in like the 60s yeah like i said i mean i think a lot of people still believe in that and in general like every time an x-men movie comes out i see that argument brought up kind of thing Mm -hmm. or kind of like whenever anyone talks about like uh women in my comic book you know what i mean like the whole like idea of like there's straight white men or political (laughs) and then for some reason inevitably x-men gets brought up and like this specific uh, analogy gets brought up as like a, a defense of it, right? Like people saying like, well, yeah. actually X-Men explicitly was this. And so therefore your argument's bad, which I think kind of doesn't make sense because it never was explicitly that anyway. It's never been explicitly anything. And that's the whole thing. And so I think everybody has the opportunity and should be allowed to see themselves in these comics and these characters. And if that resonates with you and it helps you or if it fuels your movement, then that's awesome. And I'm totally in support of that. (laughs) But there's a difference between like seeing yourself and feeling represented and like all of that good stuff versus being like, yeah, the bad guy is Malcolm X, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that's a little bit, that's like the problem, right? Yeah. that's, that, That is, that's really the problem. And also it's kind of also a way of, I think some, I saw someone put it online, Disney fine, um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. as like being like very uh pro integration and not and only nonviolent right. and Gandhiist like views. And 
while like that is like what you'll probably find in your average like primary and secondary school history book if you do additional research and learn more about like dr king in relation to the labor movement and some of the, like, mm-hmm. the things that were happening at later on in his life before he was assassinated like it's not this kind of like oh nice happy non-violent Home for misfit children or whatever yeah. the hell it is right it's like yeah so like that's the whole thing because like i think by trying to project dr xavier and magneto onto dr king and malcolm x you're kind of boosting up these fictional characters, but you're really bringing down these important figures and distorting them. Right. It's like a, it's a tremendous oversimplification in a way that kind of reduces the impact of the analogy if it was meant to be an analogy and also an understanding of like these people. So exactly. can you tell us a little bit about what the parallels like where this analogy, what they base it in? Yeah. And a little bit before that, I would I oh, just sure. kind of try to like, create the space of like why I think this does exist and is going to be continued to be propagated, even though like most at least black people in this space do not like subscribe to this. Or it's like, nah, mm-hmm. that that that's not it, bro. That, this, <laughs> this is not <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> not that one. <laughs> not that one. Um, But honestly, like I, re- I don't remember like my primary and secondary school education that well because i'm kind of old now well also it's not like we were doing this in college like i don't know about you but like i didn't really take history classes in college you know i had to take one and it was really about um post-reconstruction history in the south taught in south carolina so that was a very interesting oh super good that was definitely very educational (laughs) and very well thought out and like so nuanced people in the south love to say the south will rise again and your history class will basically have you believing that it's kind of (laughs) possible What does that even mean? It's related to like the Confederacy. Yeah, it's related to the Confederacy and also that like there was an exaggerated response of the Union. Yeah, because a lot of people in the South still refer to it as the Northern Agre- the War of Northern Aggression. Exactly. Instead they, of the Civil wait, War. Wait, do they really? Yeah, that's it yeah. was a version of what I learned in school. Like not necessarily yeah. like that's how it was explicitly taught only, but like I thought that was like I thought that was an overstated myth. I mean, no one's like no. saying it like verbatim, but it's like taught okay. as like actually guys, it was just state rights. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as you went, I think it was the state rights to own slaves. They just go, no, it was just a state's rights question. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yes, it is like a very, very flawed viewpoint in Southern states and in kind of like Southern adjacent states like Texas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now with that kind of context, like you can imagine as you're going through history and if that's like your basis for like slavery and then you're moving through the Civil War, Reconstruction, And like up through like the early 20th century and then you get to the civil rights movement, the concept of like teaching Martin Luther King Jr. as like the um, like main protagonist hero and Malcolm X as like almost like a radical villain isn't really like like, it's not it's illogical, but it also makes sense given like the context. Sure, that makes sense. I think especially because like the whitewashing also partly occurs because it is more palatable to people to like pretend that you can like resolve things peacefully, even Mm -hmm. though that wasn't actually what MLK was like about. Right. And especially in like later writings, right? Like made it pretty clear that he wasn't like super just pro-peace and non-violence and stuff. And also like a general demonization of like, I don't know, like Islamophobia plays a part of it, right? Like people acting like Malcolm X is like 
like a radical and he's not Christian, so that's bad. Yep. He isn't fine with just like, you know, bending over backwards kind of thing, which isn't to say that MLK was, but like this idea is that it's like projects this like, oh, this is someone who like is mean and bad and they have bad radical right. ideas and therefore they're a bad person. Yeah. And the bodlerized version of Martin Luther King is also like not only more palatable, but also sort of allows people to perpetuate the status quo power structures, right? If you're supposed to be nice all the time, then you don't win. <laughs> so it's like, oh, yeah, no, he definitely wanted everybody to be nice all the time and like keep it super chill. Yeah, dude. It- <laughs> like really the biggest thing about like the way this is taught in schools and like the damaging app is that these men are like taught in opposition to each other and like taking that stance, which like obviously they had clear disagreements like Malcolm X definitely called like Dr. King and Uncle Tom like that like on the record like for sure like they did not Mm -hmm. see eye to eye on strategy. I agree about the being taught in opposition because that's certainly how it was taught to me in my classes. Yeah, I think it does depend. Like, um, I think I've already mentioned in, in a past episode that I my desk is in a history classroom. Uh, so I think that there are history teachers out there doing the good work, presenting it less of a this versus mm-hmm. that. But overall. Yeah. As we grow as a society and like we get better educators and people that want to tell a more holistic view of history, like things are going to change. But I, I did find an interesting article uh, called Teaching Malcolm X, The Convenient Malcolm X. Um, by Jennifer <laughs> E. Fisher, and it was published back in uh, 1992, and I'm quoting her now. For most students, their high school education on the civil rights movement revolves around the image of nonviolent Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and an integrationist dream. A little is taught regarding Malcolm X, and limited amounts said usually portrays him as Dr. King's violent alternative who marginalized whites while contributing little to the movement's success as a whole. And see, like hearing that, I can see why people see Magneto and Professor X and think that. Yeah, because that's it is true. like it's putting yeah. the, the flawed the flawed perspective onto these characters who were I mean at the beginning right like comic book characters and like the golden age the silver age the heroic age whatever you want to like look at it are pretty simplified and like very tropey so it's it's easy to apply these like you know like one dimensional traits mm-hmm. onto them yeah right the logical disconnect is in between the like the conclusion that people reach with this analogy and the history but rather between the history History and reality. Exactly. It's like mm-hmm. people are taught, like Stan Lee and Jack Kirby in like, what, 1963, like actually, like when they were publishing X Men, that was the year of the like, I have a dream speech mm-hmm. and like the March on Washington. And so, like, if you even like just looking at the history, like it is not irrational to draw a conclusion that these events inspired this work. But <laughs> you also need to understand that time and sure. comic books and like particular particularly like X-Men in general, because like uncanny X-Men from like the early 1960s is not the same X-Men that we associate with like James McAvoy or Sir Patrick mm-hmm. Stewart or Halle Berry, like these- Or C- Sir Ian McKellen. Y- yeah. Mr. Sir Hugh Jackman. Jackman. Yeah, Mr. like Hugh Jackman. We, Jackman. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, but if you just like look at like the history, it's like, oh yeah, like obviously this was inspired by this. And then like you have people saying like, oh yeah, like Dr. King is obviously Dr. Xavier sure but not really did the creators at the time make any comments about whether it was a deliberate parallel or not like 
yep, no. this is my analog? Or is it just sort of like... Oh, actually, Stan Lee has been quoted as saying that he didn't have stuff in mind. No. Like, he actually oh. had an early interview where he said he was being like, quote unquote, lazy about it because it wasn't <laughs> like made with this like deliberate analogy because like, he and uh, Jack Kirby are both Jewish. And so like sure. a- another parallel that people like to look at it is, you know, like, and this happens with other characters, especially in Marvel, right? Like Captain America um, or even in DC, right? Like Superman, uh, people created by like Jewish writers. But yeah, he had like an early interview. I don't remember the exact quote, but he was like, yeah, like I didn't really think about it. I just thought, wouldn't it be cool if they were mutants? You know what I mean? Like if they were <laughs> cool people. And he he did an interview with Pizza Hut and like- Oh, what? I, yeah, I like I, guys, I've been doing a lot, of, a lot of research, a lot of deep dive on the internet. I want to know the extent of this promotion. No, it, it was just uh, ad time that was also supported with like an interview and they were kind of, it was him, <laughs> it was Stan Lee and it wasn't Jack Kirby. It was like, I think some of the makers of the animated the first animated series because it was like premiering and so they brought Stan Lee on to like talk about the inspiration and he like I mean the one thing that he really was talking about a lot was being bored with the standard hero like archetype and like how like yeah. a superhero gets their powers he's like I wanted to come up with something different that makes sense. And but then he was talking about like trying to pitch this to like Marvel because they're like no one's gonna know what a mutant is. Like what it is an X gene and like all of like like their pushback had nothing to do with like this is propaganda for the civil rights movement because if you if you think that these two major characters in this uncanny X Men series were inspired by these two people, you would need to like understand how those two men were viewed in 1963. Mm. <laughs> like, like it, it's good. Cause it, it doesn't really make sense. Oh, that's a really good point. It makes more sense to retroactively apply it. Yes. Yeah. I've actually seen the argument that it, they were meant more to be cold war kind of analogs in a way that a yeah. lot of comic books were at the time. The idea of mm. America versus like the USSR kind of thing. Exactly. People fighting for freedom and equality and justice and those who are willing to do whatever they could to get their way kind of thing. Exactly. So like that as the opposition more so than like the civil rights like leaders. Absolutely. Like you need to look at it through like a really like good lens of like history at that moment in time. Uncanny X-Men number one, Jack Kirby Stanley released in 1963, same year. Mm-hmm as like really like a turning point in the civil rights movement but also like we are in the midst of like cold war at like, mm-hmm. at like the exact same time and so right. uh in peter hudson's review of malcolm x like he kind of like captures like the actual transition like that's going on at least in the united states at this time and it's like the southern struggle has grown from a modest group of black students demonstrating at one lunch counter to the largest mass movement for racial reform and civil rights in the 20th century Mm -hmm. all of that like stuff is going on and so like if you really think that these two characters were inspired by these two individuals like and if you look at the polling for the how the united (laughs) states (laughs) felt about the civil rights movement yeah yeah it wouldn't make sense if you wanted to have a successful comic book these are not like jack kirby and stanley i'm not like saying they're racist but they're like they were white businessmen like trying to like break out into like this industry and be successful like it wouldn't right. really make sense to pull like a- that aesthetic of these two men and put it into these characters at that at that time sure yeah i mean i think it was mostly just like a general idea of people who are hated for no reason yeah mm-hmm. they generally wanted to show people that were oppressed and not necessarily like any specific person or group of people yeah although this might be i don't know if this is a hard left but isn't magneto actually a holocaust survivor this is true but at the time 
when these comic books were coming out, Magneto and Professor X weren't the like the versions that we know them as today. Oh, they were very very tropey at the beginning. It was very much like they're simplified and speeches like yes. so he wasn't a Holocaust survivor at the time. It wasn't. It, I mean, I guess like just for continuity's sake, I guess it's like he's always been, but it wasn't explicitly stated. I see in yeah, the right, comic that's books. What I meant. Yeah. Okay. But like the. <laughs> Interesting thing is, like, I've I spent a like, good amount of time the last two weeks, like, reading some uncanny X-Men from, like, the 60s. Uh-huh. And Incredible. <laughs> Incredible. My personal take, and, like, this is the first issue, number one, lots of, uh, just white people, like, white men in the comic books. You don't books. say. Lots of uh-huh. white men, um, basically. Lots of gays. Yeah, like, <laughs> so, so many gays. <laughs> yeah, uh, that, that is not true. That, that's not factual for this. <laughs> It's it's funny because it's like it's literally it, it it's a sixties comic book, so it's just kind of like proper language. Like here we enter Professor Charles Xavier sitting in his chair, thinking <laughs> deeply, and like the language is so stiff, simplistic. Now, if we look at Deadpool, how oh, how the man. mighty have fallen linguistically, oh, man. dude. <laughs> next next level. But then you also have like very clear like misogyny of just like a whole team of like superpowered people that you would think would be worried about saving the world and like a woman comes in for the first time into the Xavier industry and they're all like peeking around the corner as like her skirts like being blown up in the wind I'm just like geez I don't like I can't artifact of the times but I was like I cannot read this stuff yeah I will save the world if I get to get my rocks off first (laughs) (laughs) exactly so like that's all layered in there but at the same time like the first mission is the x-men going to like save a military base well that's the thing we talked about this before about how the x-men are explicitly like aligned with the state yeah so this whitewashing dr martin luther king jr well that's the thing right is it like (laughs) whitewashes the actual history of mlk his relationship to the state dude like malcolm x is like an explicit enemy of this you know what i mean like yeah. Yeah. However, unintentionally, that kind of analogy can propagate the idea of like assimilationist versus rejectionist viewpoints, kind of thing. Exactly. And also, like, and then you're you are introduced to Magneto in this first issue, but like, <laughs> I I don't know. Like, when you have a zoom in of some like white dude wearing a helmet with like these baby blue eyes talking about like Homo Superior is coming to like win, I get real Malcolm X <laughs> Nation of Islam vibes, I guess, from that. Like, so. <laughs> Homo <laughs> superior? Yes, that's what you... I think maybe they still sometimes say that in the comics, yeah. but that was like the whole idea is that like the X-Men, because of the X-Gene, are homo superior. But that was Magneto. That was Magneto's view. Magneto right, I don't know if he that. still says it anymore, <laughs> but like his whole deal was like, we're homo superior because of the X-Factor. That yeah. would be an incredible pride shirt. I'm homo superior? <laughs> I bet you that exists. I know that exists. Oh my God. I know it exists. <laughs> allowing this analogy to propagate but then people going back and seeing this and if like you're gonna associate malcolm x with saying shit like homo superior it's like you do not understand this person but also if you're in school getting pumped full of like all he would ever say is by any means and like black separatist and whatever like just like for like the record like i don't represent all black views but i represent a black view Uh, I'm sorry, um, people aren't monolithic? Yeah, we're not monolithic. You don't want to speak for all black people, Marcus? <laughs> um, no, I'm, I'm not trying to put, put okay. the team on my back in that sense. <laughs> all right. <laughs> if you um, insist. <laughs> but regardless of like how you feel about either of these two men's in, 
men and if you think they were in opposition or if you thought they were best friends because you have some more view of history the important thing about like these movements is not about any kind of like homo superior it's about self-determination <laughs> I can't get over it. right like it was never about putting one above mm-hmm. the other no it was just like and so like like you can think what you want about malcolm but like completely like blading a black separatist in that time was probably the closest way for self-determination because systems wouldn't really yeah. allow you to be in them also like a part of this like conflict and like why like maybe like malcolm and like dr king didn't see eye to eyes because they were dealing with the same problem in different contexts like king was in the south which was a very different kind of racism right like where were you born where did you grow up like i mean like malcolm had been all over but like really if you're thinking about like harlem like new york would be considered by like i guess in our history books as like a mecca for black people Mm. but there were still problems and so like tactics that were being applied in the South weren't necessarily going to work in the North. And so obviously you're going to not see eye to eye with someone that's like, even if you're working on the same problem, but you just have a different approach to it, you're not going to always see eye to eye. But it doesn't mean that like one of you is like siding with the United States military and the other one is like claiming that they're homo superior and is trying to like take One of them saying, I'm going to build an (laughs) island of only mutants and we're going to kill everybody else. (laughs) (laughs) So, Uh, I mean, that is, that is how he's like, demonized though right malcolm x yeah i mean when i learned about him in history books it was definitely like an extremely negative till yeah like and i i still haven't read it but the and i but i've read excerpts the autobiography of malcolm x is like eye-opening and really like helps you understand someone who has been kind of demonized by history and i mean just food for thought and we'll get back to the x-men uh why do you think we have a martin luther king day and we don't have a malcolm x day that is a design by like our systems to like really continue to demonize this person even after they like malcolm x has got assassinated like over 50 years ago so like it (laughs) the the fact that we're still trying to do this right it's a continued demonization of someone who is radical and then a complete whitewashing of someone who is like less radical in a way that allows you to like pick at their like viewpoints and select the ones that are very pacifist in a way that like allows you to you know what I mean like yep to like select what you want to like support status quo maintenance and like I mean thank you uh Lyndon B. Johnson for (laughs) facilitating a lot a lot of this and um like even even with the level of whitewashing like when there was finally a vote on like actually having like a form like a federal Mm -hmm. like official martin luther king day there were several senators that were just like no 22 to be exact in 1983 (laughs) i mean even today people like complain about it yeah like that so that like is the i guess historical rationale for like why this analogy like really can't make sense right like can't function yeah it just doesn't work like Especially if you're, like, trying to go and pull back, like, from, like, early X- Uncanny X-Men for, like, the basis of the argument. Like, if you want to make a half-assed argument about this, you have to be, like, talking about modern X-Men and really basically everything after, like, the uh, Chris Claremont. I was going to say, because even Chris Claremont thought that it was, like, presumptuous to say that yes. they were standards for Malcolm X and MLK. Like, he also didn't exactly. like it. Especially because yeah. I remember he like had a quote where he said like as a white immigrant he felt it was presumptuous. Yep. Mm-hmm. And he actually compared them to like Jewish leaders. Which I'm like I would say like Jewish people would could also make an argument like hey I don't want this person projected onto like my leaders too so it's like like it should all be taken in 
context. But, like, Chris Claremont actually, I guess, brought depth to these two characters, particularly. And, like, I mean... Oh, and the X-Men in general. It got way less tropey yeah, afterwards. It got, yeah, it got way less tropey, way, like... And we'll, we'll get to this later on, but, like, you definitely, like, mathematically, or, like, statistically, you see an uptick in um the characters of color and the amount of lines that Yeah, they that's get. when you start like, seeing, like, Wednesday. Jubilee and Kitty Pride yeah. and... he created Mystique, Sabretooth, yeah. like, like it, it, he really, like, kind of builds out the X-Men. Mm-hmm. To address your question earlier on, like, Claremont was the person that introduced the narrative of uh, Magneto being a Holocaust survivor. Like, that was, like, his... Got it. To flesh it out. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting, too, because uh, Claremont's run is also arguably when X-Men becomes more... It's a little bit easier for modern readers to see it as a queer metaphor. Certainly at the time, a lot of, like, gay people were writing in saying that they saw it as such. But, like, Claremont's run is when you start seeing a lot more storylines that are less of Sentinels hunting mutants kind of thing and more well, that's of, what I was going to like, say. Oh, this is, like, someone having to come out to their family as a mutant kind of thing. Yeah. There is, like, that, like, tonal shift as well um, in Claremont's right. run. That's what I was going to say is I think I remember you mentioning that there is sort of a race allegory that holds up, if not the MLK Malcolm X thing, obviously, but like with the Sentinels hunting mutants as as like a metaphor for lynching. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, or, I, I or think, no. I, I guess not maybe like to specify it to lynching, but any mm. kind of like racially motivated killing in Got general. It. Because like these Sentinels are like, they're, and, and this is kind of like, I guess like, a weird tangent but like the whole idea of being able to target people based on like their genetic makeup is not like completely outside of the realm of possibilities at this point in time ew gross really i mean it certainly has it certainly has like a lot of basis in like racist viewpoints right like yeah looking at what's it called like blood quantum and stuff like that like that was mm-hmm. explicitly an aspect of it oh my god yeah That's but also right. like, but even today like our like facial recognition software is getting so intense like you could try to figure out ways to write algorithms to like focus on like facial features of like these kinds of people and then program that into like a drone because i like oh, i saw okay. this and like like in the news like recently there have been like autonomous drone like i don't know if these are killings but like people have been like attacked by drones in like parts of like the middle east that weren't like manned and they were just like being run on some program well but um, not but we can't they don't have like things that can attack based on genetic material just like on no, whatever yeah. it is phenotype is that what it's Phen- called yeah it's on the outside <laughs> But no, it. I think probably most of like what we as like people born in like the like early nineties and like late eighties. Um, excuse me. Okay, thank, thank you. Thank you. I know. <laughs> I have to start with his, then go to yours. Yeah, I got. Sorry. <laughs> Our understanding of the X Men is probably more rooted in the Claremont versions and a lot of like the cinema mm-hmm. that. Like we've seen like with X-Men is based more on that, but we'll have like, we'll pull from Uncanny X-Men because it is the original. And so there's always going to be like reaching back to that history Some because influence. like that's where it, where it started. Like, I mean, like specifically like X-Men first class is like a modern interpretation of that original story. Right. Exactly. It's like, it, that's the time period. What? They were, uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis, like the whole like plot. Like at the, at the end. Right, yeah. But I, I do have one bone to pick with uh-huh. this movie, and it's particularly how they handled black characters, <laughs> which is- Is it not well? Do you mean by uh, by black characters, characters like Storm, or uh, um, like in general, like casting choices kind of thing? Um, No, honestly, this is with X-Men First Class, because X-Men First Class could have just been a very white movie- 
Mm-hmm. Okay, I was just about to say I don't actually know this one. Is it? Yeah. Is, this one's a movie. Yeah, this is a movie. This is one. It's ba- it's okay. kind of based off of like the original, like Uncanny X Men. This is with. It's uh, got like James McAvoy. McAvoy, and, like, yeah. Yeah. Sir Ian McKellen. No, no. Uh, no so Sir Ian McKellen's one. like the original. Older, like, I don't know movies. anything from before Sir Ian McKellen. Oh well, these are after, <laughs> but in the timeline, it's before. Yeah, chronologically, oh. it's like early, like young X Men, young oh, kind of thing. Okay, yeah. got it. But. The problem is, so there is, there there did not need to be, like, black characters in this movie. Like, if you really didn't want to, but if you were going to do it, let's try to, like, not make them props or kind of tropey. Right. Zoe Kravitz is, like, it's cool that, like, she's in the movie and, like, like, like it's rare to have, like, women of color in Superman movies. So it's, like, awesome. And she she's playing, like, this angel-type creature, but she's introduced as, like, a stripper, <laughs> which is, like... yeah. It's Magneto in X or in, like, I guess it's, like, a cabaret somewhere. And, like, they go into, sure. like, a back room with her. And, like, she, like, reveals her, like, wings. But, like, it, by doing that, she has to, like, take her bra off to, like, let the wings out. I was going to say so, tits like, first. Well, yeah, you don't. Sure. It's, it's PG-13, so you don't you don't see anything. But, you like, don't it's see the quiet. You don't yeah. see the tits. You can see boobs in PG-13 movies. I don't think at this time. Oh. Well, like, rather, I mean, they probably didn't no. want to push the PG-13 envelope, yeah. maybe. Oh, maybe yeah. they needed to do some swearing later. Yeah, they had to save the <laughs> F-bomb. Potentially. Magneto just yells fuck really loudly at the end of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> she she takes off her bra, <laughs> it shows her wings, and Magneto goes, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, take that as it is. Like, feel how you want to feel about it. I was just like, um, like, I'm glad she's in, like, the movie, but, like, the writers could have come up with a more creative way to introduce its character. Well, that's the thing, right, is that it, it's kind of like a weird move both in terms of like, okay, so this is a female character that you're going to introduce by just taking her shirt off. <laughs> kind of weird move. And then also the other hand of also like this is a person of color. Right. And like yeah. sexualization. Y- yeah. Like, I see what you mean. It's kind of just like, yeah. mm, why though? But that's, been, that's now compounded with how they they did my boy Eddie Gathegi, who yeah. I like, um, I, and I hope I'm pronouncing like his last name right. Um, it's Eddie Kitagi. Uh, he's a Kenyan American actor. Uh-huh. He was Darwin in the movie. He also stars in a show that just came on Netflix that's about cryptocurrency called Startup, and he does an okay. awesome job. Uh, so shout out to Eddie. Um, but he plays Darwin, and he's a character that can basically adapt to his environment, meaning like he's he like effectively would be immortal. It's weird. Some of it has to do with evolution. Yeah. It, it, right. So. But, like, it was, like, it's, he's a black character, so I was, like, oh, like, I, like, you could maybe, like, have shown some scenes about him, like, surviving in the 60s as, like, a black person just walking around, like, the South and, like, being, like, like, using his powers to, like, survive. And, like, they, they I know you can't, like, go that deep with, like, movies and especially with, like, not, a, like, a main character, but obviously uh, Darwin had to die because that's how black characters are done when they're used as secondary characters in most uh, science fiction, horror, fantasy, whatever you want to call it. We we are the sacrifice of the movie, mm-hmm. but like before that, uh, Kevin Bacon's character like Kevin Bacon's in that movie. Who yeah, the hell Kevin is Kevin Bacon? Bacon? Is in this movie. You don't really even remember Kevin Bacon's in the movie, but like, and I don't blame Kevin Bacon or Eddie for doing the role. Like I was like, these are this is the writer's choice to like make these scenes. But when he's recruiting, <laughs> this oh, he's group the doctor. Of mutants, he's the Nazi doctor. Yes, yes, he's the Nazi doctor who when he. And I guess, like, to go around with this character, I guess this phrase made sense. But when he was asking them to join them, he was like, do you want to stay here and be slaves? Oh, and boy. it immediately just zooms in on Eddie's face. And I was oh, like, really? No, and I was like, really? I was like, I, like I, yes, I watched, the, like, I just watched this again. <laughs> 
Wow, that's a bold choice for a movie that came out in 2011. 11, right? That's a real Joss Whedon move. (sighs) But then Kevin Bacon's character proceeds to kill Darwin. He kills him. But like, also, Darwin's, like, it's been reported in the comic books that he can adapt his body to almost anything, any form of, like, energy. So he can almost convert his molecular structure to pure energy. Even if he was to explode, he could reconstruct himself in theory. But in this movie, he just had to die when he was. And Kevin Bacon fed him, like, a little energy ball to put in his mouth. And then, like, he blew it up. (gasps) And that, yeah. So. Lazy. X-Men First Class had a great opportunity to be like, you know what? We're going to do Uncanny X-Men, but we're going to do it in the most progressive way possible, which I guess they attempted to, and it still kind of didn't work out all that well but um i still like that movie i still like like the x-men could have done i mean it's like we've talked about before right (laughs) it's just sloppy writing and it's people who like should maybe not be the ones writing it or at least like get like a diversity consultant right like someone to come in and be like hey guys hey buddy um what are you doing (laughs) yeah what is this why why are you doing this but and i feel like a lot of people have like when things like this happen like want to criticize actors for doing those roles or like kevin bacon for like do like saying lana was like i this is not anything against you like you guys crushed your roles is like this someone wrote the scripts (laughs) i mean there's like i think there's degrees of that right there are roles that i think it would be pretty unethical to take i'm looking at you scarjo I was, yeah, ScarJo, come on, man. But like, (laughs) but certainly it's a sliding scale of like, you got to sort of weigh the, okay, I need a job. This seems fine. For example, I currently work at a charter school. I don't really believe in charter schools as a, as a function of the education system, but I do like having a job. Right. (laughs) I will say, did Kevin? I'm sure Kevin Bacon didn't know the camera was gonna fucking hard zoom. Uh, Yeah, I don't. I don't think that's the other thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I I think that was control over the camera work. Kevin Bacon runs behind the camera to shoot the scene himself. (laughs) He's like, "Hang on, guys, I have a great idea. I have a great idea." I'm the director now. (laughs) (laughs) I uh, his stunt double cooked me dinner in Guatemala. (laughs) Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> fucking wild. That's my story about Kevin Bacon. Isn't that famous so director? Weird? <laughs> that's such a random. Right? Fact. Like, that's so wild. Yeah. yeah. It is really um, weird. It's a weird, <laughs> random thing that happened to me. <laughs> so funny. He looks kind of like Kevin Bacon. Yeah, a little bit. He should. <laughs> I hope at least a little bit. But to get back to X Men, mm-hmm. or I guess, well. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, back to X-Men, but kind of, like, taking, like, a pivot is, like, so even with, like, X-Men in general being a nice analogy for, like, oppressed people, I think it is important to understand, like, most characters, both in the movie and in the comics, have really been white. Right, like, it's like, okay, Mm -hmm. cool, you want to, like, have this metaphor, but, like, maybe actually just have some black characters. Metaphors only. Metaphors Metaphors only. only. Like, it's just, when most people think of X-Men and they think of X-Men of color, honestly, they're pretty much just going to think Storm. Storm. Yes. That's all I got. There's Bishop, Jubilee, Psylocke. I mean, like, I, I know a lot of X-Men, so I'm like, oh, I can pull out some, but, like, your average person is, like, probably not going to be able to, like, name. A very casual fan, especially one who's yeah. maybe only seen the movies kind of thing, is, like, mostly just going to say Storm. Maybe Again, they'll me. know that Jubilee's Chinese-American. <laughs> They might know the Kitty Pride's Jewish American kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, now I know. You can either read the comics, and I know like some people are like, I bet it's like not like that, like white, but like people have actually like looked at the numbers. Uh, oh, particularly really? Lindsay like, T. Jones, statistics? like worked on her. Yes, looked her master's thesis was 
the Black X-Men, where are they in the narrative? Oh, where are uh, they? <laughs> that's a good title, actually, for a thesis. Yes. Huh? It is a really good title. I like that. Yes. The thesis was really interesting because it, it, like, the title is really, like, it focuses in on X-Men, but it kind of looks at the whole context of, like, black portrayal in, like, the media and, like, goes through, like, the whole age of, like, black exploitation and how mm-hmm. that fed into, like, like, people seeing that there could be profit in, like, using people of color in media. So it's like, oh, so you're out, like, in you, so you see an uptick. And, like, I mean, for better or for, like, worse, like... And, like, historically, for marginalized people, your start is, like, normally some kind of bastardized version of, like, the art that you really wanted to do. Like, are you saying, like, as, like, a black, like, comic book creator kind of thing? It's, like, Or black comic book creator or, like, artist or, like, I mean, or, or, like, even, like, any, like, like, not even just, like, black people, but, like. Sure, but, like, the, on the content creator side, if you're marginalized, your first version of something in a a, a mainstream comic is, like, not great potentially yeah and like one like particular example that like i i kind of came across because i was just like looking at just black history and comics like like most people would associate like the first like black comic book superhero would probably like most people would say uh black panther oh, like yeah. he came out like 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 19 19- guy like yeah <laughs> and he was like premiered he premiered in like the uh i think it was fantastic four in like maybe like late like early 70s or something no shit, as, i didn't like, know a, that a okay. character yeah like first appearance um, but there was actually a whole comic that was written and published by black comic book writers in 1947 called mm-hmm. uh, All Negro Comics. Amazing. That was the name of the comics or like the the organization or? Yeah. Yeah. So like that was like the, uh, I guess the publishing under like the moniker All Negro Comics. Oh, I see. Like the publishing house. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but, that, but that was also the title of the issue. And, th- uh, and there it was only one issue. So, Orin uh, Cromwell Evans was, like, the person that spearheaded this. And, Mm -hmm. I mean, I obviously, this, like, opened up a lot of doors for, like, black content producers at, like, time. And it was, like, completely, like, it was written, drawn, published by black artists. And, but, like, through, like, a lens of, like, history and kind of understanding how, like, like structures, like, work then. Like, if you were going to try to produce something out in the world and that this time as a black person wanted to make money it you had to get traffic with white readers yeah in reality like and if you were even getting into rooms like and talking to publishers you probably were like and i mean like colorism's real like most people that could pass or were like lighter skin were more likely to be in like these rooms and Mm-hmm. Not going to talk about like black bourgeoisie and the whole like dichotomy there, but like <laughs> there's reason for like people that were in these spaces to not necessarily care about portraying black people in the best light because of how they associated themselves with the black community. Mm, and so sure. when I saw the cover of All Negro Comics Issue 1, it's a lot of um bald African babies in loincloths and people that kind of look like black colonizers with arrows through their, like, banana hats. God. Yeah. Yeah. That's extremely (laughs) disappointing. Yeah. So, and... Oh, my God. This comic uh, cover pretty fucking wild, huh? Marcus, I thought you were going a very different (laughs) direction with this. I was looking for this to be, like, a positive, uplifting moment. It's just a reality. Like that I like I yeah. came across and I was like, I feel like I should probably talk about this. I guess it's medium positive. Yeah. Uh, let's say neutral. Like it, Cause it, it, it I mean, because I feel like when you don't talk about this part of history, because then you don't have to talk about like how society was structured for black people by others. And it's like, well, we're only gonna allow these people that view your culture this way to get access to funds for publishing or Right. Uh so this did not go unnoticed. 
So back in 1947, when this first came out, Time Magazine commented on the issue. And mm-hmm. it, it was mainly around the uh, feature Ace Harlem, like the main character. It, were the, and this is their quote, a couple of zoot-suited, jive-talking Negro muggers who pres- presence in anyone else's comics might have brought up complaints of racial distortion. While I disagree with that first string of (laughs) verbiage that they chose to use. Yeah, guys. I mean, like, (laughs) the Times, Mm -hmm. 1947, so whatever. I think complaints of racial distortion is valid. Wait, that was the Time Magazine article? Yeah. I feel like that's kind of a, I mean, okay, I'm not surprised. I'm just saying, like, in terms of tone and, like, having an editor look at it and be like, yep, that seems... Like, that fits in the scheme of the rest of this article. Honestly, in 1947, that would, like, I, that sounds about right. All right. Honestly. Well, shit. I tried pulling it up, and time told me that page doesn't exist. Oh, time. Time said, no, thank you. Time's like, actually, I, uh, don't know what you're talking about. Time said, please don't try to read that article right now. (laughs) (laughs) I guess if I get on, like, an archive website, I could probably find it. Allegedly, this was in a Times article. (laughs) But yeah, so that little uh, nugget of history for you when it comes to black comics, but like, like no shade at Oren Cromwell Evans. Like, I like you. He could have had views that I probably do disagree with, but like he, this was like actually the first black comic that was published. But I also would then like to quote like the like letterhead inside of the first issue. It was really more about like look at us and what we're doing like hey we're 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 black people doing black stuff and not like we're trying to empower people it's like we made like we made a comic book right mm-hmm. that's history and it's important but it's like also like the mindset of that time is like not everybody was like about like lifting people up some people were just like trying right. to just not be in a bad position anymore like if you could yes. a- accumulate enough capital and you have the right like look you could have a fairly comfortable life as a black person in the 1940s but yeah to get back into like the history and like the numbers and like all negro comics was like actually like the first like black comic but most of like the data collected for from uh, Lindsay Jones's study was like actually spanning like the it was really focused on X-Men and on X- mm-hmm. Kenny X-Men so it goes from 1963 to 2003. So that basically covers about 359 characters. Wow. Mm-hmm. Or character appearances and over 5845 pages of content. Jeez. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so so these are like the like the general averages uh 78.8% of all characters were white. Roughly. Wow, really? Sure. Yeah, over that whole period of time. That's wild. Yeah. 3.8 were non Human white characters. So these are things like Mystique, Nightcrawler. Sure. Any like character that's like not necessarily like a has a white skin, but like is coded as white. Their parents are white or they commonly present as white or yeah, like are coded kind of thing. Yeah. That makes sense. And 6.7 were black. And it, the only other two groups that were recorded or studied were Native American and Asian. And that mm-hmm. comprised about 10.7%. Interesting. Yeah. So, and and that was just general, like, character appearances. Total, like, page appearances Yeah, is pretty like, sad. Like, over the whole, whole course of this time, like, white characters pretty much dominate over, of those, like, almost 6,000 pages, 4,800 of them were pretty much all white characters. Woof. Over, over, Ooh. overwhelming. And th- yeah. this is for four decades. 
non-human white characters uh were only one percent um so only like 115 pages which is surprising because i feel like mystique is like gets a lot bigger in the storyline um but maybe she's just not actually she's talked about and maybe isn't actually seen i feel like she has she has like a short run of a solar series it's only like 13 issues or something and then she's just kind of like occasionally around okay that would make sense hmm black characters uh 538 pages so that's about nine percent and then so then like we do see a drop off in actual like page contributions from native american and asians because they are only representing about eight percent of the pages but they have 10 points almost 11 percent of the total characters right interesting that's like a clear like oh we're gonna put these people in the story for the sake but we're not really gonna do anything with them yeah yeah and you can just see it in the numbers it's like oh yeah these are props yeah Mm -hmm. but and like th- like those numbers were averaged over time. Like Lindsay does like say like you see like a increase in non-white characters once you get past like the sixties and like obviously in like the Claremont age and like really when you get to like the nineties and like we're starting to like see like cartoons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's when the comic books start really like diversifying. But like my like last little like thing that I did want to like mention as like we're closing that like that, that so it's not all bleak that like comic books are not like like yes they're like mainstream comic books are very white and like the history is kind of like dark and people like to use these shitty analogies that degrade uh figures there have been people and co- series that have really like tried to lift up black people in particular that i think have yeah. influenced yeah for um sure. the culture for the good and particularly um i gotta give a shout out to the whole like dakota verse series and milestone comics which were all of the uh black comics under like the dc moniker so this is where we get our static shocks yeah i was gonna say static shock has like a new comic coming out right yes and also shout out to nicholas draper ivy love your art love that you're doing the art for static oh yeah i saw the the dakota versus coming back yes like, honestly, this is, like, the one time I will do this on the podcast. If you're looking for a black scientist that's got a background in organic electronics, like, slide in my DMs, hit me up. Like, <laughs> uh-huh. I will do this consulting for Amazing. free. Please yeah, let me work on the no, project. No, 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 <laughs> no. You deserve no, You can get some money. Sure. You can get some money. But also, like, Michael B. Jordan is apparently producing the live action movie, and I would work with him for free. That that's just- I would I would do anything for him for free. <laughs> yeah, dude. But yeah, but in the nineties is like when like the Dakota first started, and like it was really successful. Mm-hmm. Like obviously, if you're comparing like the all like Negro comics that had one issue that was like very like not the most uh black empowering content, compare that to like the Dakotaverse and like Milestone Comics and everything they did orders of magnitude better like yeah. as far as like impact like milestone still exists because like the success of the static comic led into like that cartoon which like turned them into like a producing and publishing company mm-hmm. and like basically allowed them to like keep their business running right. because it was so successful but because i think you see you're starting to see readership shift to these comics i think that naturally required like marvel to start to introduce more characters of color because it was just like, I mean, for better or for worse, capitalism. Like, you're going to start losing market share if you can't get people to read your stuff because it's too... Right. If DC is able to portray characters of color in positive ways that mean a lot to people, then, like, you got to keep up with it somehow, right? Exactly. For better or for worse, like, there have been black characters in comic books for almost, like, most of comic book history, either both in good ways and bad ways. 
And for the record, Dr. Charles Xavier is not Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh-huh. And Magneto, also known mm-hmm. as Eric Lancher, is not Malcolm X. Mm-hmm. And that is my expert opinion. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening to In My Expert Opinion. Please remember to rate and subscribe. We'd also be grateful if you'd leave a review with your expert opinion on why this podcast is rad. Five-star reviews will get a shout-out on the podcast. Pretty big deal, if you ask me. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at expertopspod, or email inmyexpertopinion at gmail.com. Later, nerds! <laughs>